and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Broad Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sagade. I'm the host of this show. Today, we're very fortunate to have with us Dr. Mary Joy Weathersby, MD, F-A-C-O-G. Your conversation brings up two important topics. Um, so the first one is, you know, how is the American College of OBGYN helping us prevent that first C-section that can, you know, uh, lead to uh, problems? Uh, so how can we prevent that first C-section? And then number two is that there is disparity in the number of cesarean sections being performed in uh, minority women, in Black women. And there is actually a reason behind this that has been proven by studies. And uh, the third thing that your recent conversation is bringing up is, is breastfeeding. And I want us to talk about that quickly because that's the simplest of all these three things. The moms of... Uh, C-sections have a lag in their peak production of breast milk after a cesarean section. And, um, you know, what can you tell us about that? It's, it's not an easy thing because it is, you know, the the certain parts of the C-section is just sterile. And so there are certain things you just can't do. You just, um, you're not able to uh, latch on um, immediately after delivery. Um, as you are more easily able to do after vaginal delivery. Um, but we try to make it a, a, a bit um, sooner, if you will, um, after the mother's in recovery, and after the mo mother is monitored and making sure that mother is actually stable and mother um, decides that, yes, I want to start, I want to try. And this is also making sure baby and nursery is also stable. We've got two components to, to, to make sure that peds um, say that baby's is stable. And yes, let's go um, for um, lactate, to, let's go for mother to begin um, breastfeeding. But you do, you have... A, it, it, the you, you have about a good hour um, from delivery, um, like with the C-section versus um, uh, vaginal delivery. The vaginal delivery, you have a few mi uh, minutes if everything is going very smoothly and well, and mother decides, yes, I'm ready. I want to go ahead and breastfeed. And nursery has evaluated baby and baby as well. Nursery evaluates baby in the room. Um, with uh, vaginal deliveries and NICU and nursery evaluates baby in the OR um, with C-sections. And then when baby goes to the nursery area, they also evaluate baby um, in nursery area also with C-sections. So you've got um, a, a much shorter time period where that can occur if mother decides. Now some vaginal um, delivery, some patients um, decide that they want to just go ahead straight to formula and, 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 and go in that direction, or some decide um, they want to try. So there is a lag, but only because of what it is, it's a little bit difficult to take that away because it's it's still a, a section and it's still sterile and it still needs to be sterile um, and still needs to um, uh, um, complete mother's uh, care um, uh, so that mother can then do uh, bonding um, and uh, breastfeeding with baby. Thank you. All right. 
So, you know, the current recommendations by the American College of OBGYN on C-section is that they still prefer a vaginal delivery when possible. And then they want you to do a C-section when needed uh, as per the doctor's recommendation. But the college is also doing an initiative now in which we want to reduce that first C-section. They are telling doctors to do things that we reduce that first elective C-section because once you have that first C-section, there's a chance of having another C-section. Uh, wh- how, how can we as, or what are the barriers? Why can't that first C-section rate fall? Why can't it decrease? Or, or what is happening with that initiative? Well, it's a good question, but it's a it's a little bit um, difficult, and I think that's something that every most definitely OBGYNs um, do strive to not do that first C section if possible. But sometimes the C section um, uh, you may not have um, another option. Uh, but that primary C-section elective, uh, ACOG does say that a person, a patient can uh, elect an elective C-section just because she wants it. And so that's also difficult in the same setting that um, ACOG does say that. And I uh, do definitely try to counsel a few patients that have actually wanted that. I do try to counsel um, what that means, what that could potentially mean in the future and the reasons behind that. Uh, definitely um, pain should never be a reason for that. And I definitely counsel um, uh, uh, be, uh, um, patients on that, that there's many different pain management um, methods and options that the patient has that can that she can go through without having that. Um, and uh, in terms of having that initial C-section, um, many... And I, I feel as though many times I want to say all OBGYNs, but I don't know all OBGYNs. So I, I am limited to not say something like all OBGYNs, but definitely the ideal um, amongst, you know, at least most OBGYNs is that we don't want to do a C-section unless we need to do a C-section. And um, we do want to, we do have what's called a labor curve. We all know that many women fall um, totally falls short of the labor curve, meaning they have long passed the labor curve, meaning um, if you're supposed to be at this level by this many hours and by this, you know, we have things of that nature, but many of us don't necessarily, you know, use that so stringently. What we do is give the woman additional time and make sure that the woman feels comfortable. And we do this as long as the tracing is good, as long as the baby is tolerating labor, as long as mother's tolerating labor. Um, um, but we all know that there is a certain time limit still because infection does come in and we do worry about infection. And we do know that infection can be more um, risk for the baby and also risk for mother. So there's a time where the risk of infection becomes too great and um, mother is not progressing that we don't have another option. We only deliver one of two ways. If it's not happening vaginally, then it needs to happen surgically. Um, and then there's the, the the times where the tracing is not category one um, and not even category two. We, that you know, we may. The tracing is when we have the mother connected to a monitor 
to give the tracing of the fetal heart rate. And based on how we, we OBGYNs interpret the fetal heart rate, we can call it a category one, which is good, a category three, which is bad, you know, go for a C-section, or a category two, which is in between, I could watch you or do something else, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And category two, um, you, you definitely want to um, intervene. And oftentimes what happens is um, you can intervene and it has good recovery. And then you try again and perhaps you get that persistently and you get that persistently with no cervical change. And there's, again, a, 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 a time limit. There's a, a time frame of how much distress do you put the baby in? Do you allow the baby to continue to be in? without showing actual cervical progress. Um, And these are conversations you have with the patient and with the patient's family. Um, And these are conversations definitely that are worth having. You know, we can can stop the Pitocin for a moment um, and let baby recover. And then we're going to restart the Pitocin at a lower dose, you know, even half the dose or restart altogether at the first level and, 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 and see how baby does. And if baby does well, it allows mothers to still progress and we can continue. Mother has no fever. Baby's not tachycardic. And um, tracing is um, tolerating it, you can continue to recover. But if you're getting persistent late decelerations, these are not good decelerations. These are decelerations letting us know that baby is not necessarily tolerated labor. Um, if you're if you're if you're in that scenario, uh, you you do need to intervene because you need to actually listen to the baby. Um, and baby has few ways of communicating with us and the tracing is one of them to let us kind of know, Hey, this is, this is something that we need to do. Now, of course you have your, your emergencies where there's a cord prolapse. Well, that's just an absolute emergency. You go immediately and do a C-section, you know, for, for, for that, for that cord prolapse, you're not able, uh, uh, that's the, the ACOG response for, for, for that. That's the response. That's what needs to be done. So, the idea is definitely there to try vaginal. And I'll tell my patients, you know, we do desire a vaginal delivery. Definitely. That's that, that would be great for everybody to have a vaginal delivery, but that's not reality. You know, reality doesn't give us that. And so we have to go with what reality gives us. And it's a little bit of kind of, um, we, we, we deal with what's presented and not necessarily, it's very difficult to make something, you know, that usually is not the direction that happens. It's usually something happens. And so we have to um, respond accordingly and kind of um, say, okay, well, baby is tolerated. Baby's happy. Um, mother, you know, we can watch you another few hours and kind of see two to four more hours and see if you're, you know, making any changes and keep going as long as we're doing well. If we're not doing well, we do need to talk. Okay. This is what's going on. And of course, the the, um, internal monitors are absolutely helpful. Uh, The ISC, when you're you're, uh, by guidelines able to place it, there are certain situations where you're not able to place an ISC. And then um, an IUPC also, um, when that's able to be placed, um, that also definitely helps you to understand not just that she's contracting, but, you know, these are the strengths of the contraction. and, and, And this is, you know, 
we are now adequate. We have enough of the Potosin or we have enough, you know, of power, if you will, um, for that. And, and so maybe it's more of a passenger. Maybe baby is not able to fit through the pelvis or maybe it's it's not. Or or maybe it, it has nothing to do with that. It's just the baby is just not tolerating um, the labor course and we, and we, you know, need to intervene. No, thank you. So the we're, we're now at the critical question of this podcast. Um, why is it that Black women and some other minorities in the United States have more cesarean sections than white women? That's a very good question. And it kind of leads me going right back to... Um, uh, the article um, that I read and I'm very sure was on Serena um, Williams as high profile and celebrity and um, amazing accomplishments and um, just fantastic achievements still um, was felt to not have been listened to by her doctors. And oftentimes, I think that's where it all begins. You hear me talk a lot about the conversations that I have with patients. You know, it's an interaction with, with myself and my patients. You know, we we want to talk and say, okay, this is how it's going. This is what's this is my expectation, your expectation. This is um, the medical reasons why. This is there's a lot of conversation that goes um, in, in in the care, and that's the way it needs to be with every single patient. And um, oftentimes you do hear, you do uh, read um, about minority patients being felt that they're not listened to, they're not taken seriously, um, their concerns are not heard, and that should not be. When you're interacting and you're, and, and you're saying, okay, well, um, I would like to, you know, try a little bit longer and have this delivery and try that, you know, it can be done, but it must be done with a willing participant to listen, to interact, to discuss, and to actually say the reasons why, okay, well, here's the reasons why as, as a doctor, perhaps um, I, don't, I, I feel as though we should do it this way. There's nothing wrong with your doctor saying, okay, here's the reasons why. This is, this is what the, in, um, the guidelines tells us. This is what the... Um, Medical literature tells us, not just Google, you know, please be careful not just doing a bunch of Google, but this is what medical literature actually tells us. This is what we've learned as a as medical um, OBGYN um, um, guidelines and such. And, and here's where the doctor is coming from. And then the patient can say, okay, well, you know, this is where I'm coming from. The interaction, being heard, being communicated, being listened to goes a long way in understanding. And then also in educating and in teaching. Um, I love to educate my patients. I love to teach my patients. Um, and what I'm teaching, what I'm educating on is the medical reasons for it, the medical interventions. <coughs> Not just I'm going to do this, this is how it's going to be and that, but it's a total involvement of the patient with me in their care. So. I'm sharing with you, I'm teaching you, this is why we do this. This is the reason why this is happening. This is the reason why that, so that you understand what's going on and why it's going on. And then you can also share with me, well, 
I would like this. Okay, well, we can do this, but you know what? Medically speaking, we're not able to do this. And this is the reason why we're not able to do it. Sometimes there may be an actual medical reason to do something, but it's not communicated with the patient. And the patient is slighted and they're not sure why they're even having something done. They're not even sure what was done. And that's unfortunate and that is not good medicine. Actually, you want to be a good patient advocate for your patients. You want to talk with them, communicate and let them know every step of the way what's going on, why it's going on, your input in it, and listen to their input in it. So there's also, uh, in addition to just, um, you know, a lot of uh, academic literature out there and and personal experiences from speaking to women, uh, minority women, uh, there there is data that show that not only uh, the women not uh, listened to and their concerns not validated or they're not, um, uh, uh, situations are not expressed to them in a, a language or a manner in which they can understand. There is also money involved. And it, you know, it shows that U.S. hospitals uh, charge an average of about $22,000 for a C-section compared to about $12,000 for a quote-unquote normal uncomplicated delivery. And also that in 2010, with the Affordable Care Act, you know that meant that more Black women had medical insurance than before, but it did not remove the profit motive from hospitals. And that just meant that there were more there was more incentive then for the hospitals to push women down the profitable path, knowing then that their insurance company can pay and will pay. And so there's the issue of the women not being listened to or validated, but then there's also the issue of money and profit in the United States. And that is... Profit often drives a lot of things. That is unfortunate. Um, I I think that's um, incredibly unfortunate. The biggest thing that you want to do as a doctor is to be your patient's advocate and to um, do your very best for each and every patient um, and to listen to your patients. So, Dr. Mary Joy, you know, thank you so much for this. The the joy of a newborn's face, you know, often blurs the trauma of childbirth. And, um, you know, so regardless of the route of delivery that we ultimately offer our patients, like you said, we want a good outcome of mothers, of babies. We want less women, period, minority or non-minority, are facing issues of maternal morbidity and maternal mortality from childbirth issues. And so before we close, number one, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You have been recovering from a cold and because of your busy schedule, 
you decided to honor your time commitment to this uh, time of pod, uh, for your podcast. So number one, I just want to thank you very much for the knowledge that you have imparted to women all over the world concerning such an important topic as a cesarean section. But in closing, how, you know, what pattern words would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I definitely am grateful that you even have the podcast that you invited me on. Um, thank you for this. Thank you for all that you do. Also, you do quite a lot uh, for all of your patients and very um, happy to be here. Um, and I definitely want you to continue doing all of that. Um, for, for patients all around, um, I want them to know that they deserve to be heard that they're not an inconvenience in any way, that they are important and they are um, very special. And I do want them to come in with their desires, but also I do want them to listen <laughs> to, because sometimes we do have our desires or certain ways that perhaps we, we may want delivery to go. And, and we definitely hope for it to be that way, but sometimes there are medical reasons for doing things. But if you don't understand, or if it's not being communicated, just say, but why, or what is the medical reason or what, you know, and, and hopefully, hopefully you're going to come across um, a doctor who is also a patient advocate, a doctor that's going to um, sit and take the time to explain it and, um, and, 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 and explain it in a way that it can be understood. Sometimes, you know, make it perhaps use an analogy instead um, to, to make the situation more um, understandable. And um but this is where you're talking to your doctor throughout your whole pregnancy. I want you to come in and see your doctor as early as you can in your pregnancy, um, as early as possible, and just kind of share your thoughts, listen to their thoughts, and keep going back and forth. Um, and um, hopefully you'll find that right doctor that's going to listen to you and that's going to honor you um, and that you're going to have a good relationship with. Um, your doctor's not necessarily a genie that, you know, <laughs> does all that. You know, that's not reality because it's not medicine. Um, there's reasons for doing certain things and not doing certain things, but it is um, a relationship that, you know, this is what your doctor expects and this is what you expect. And this is, you know, what we can do and, 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 and what's, um, uh, what what is medically safe, what is medically better, um, and and you know certain options and such. I definitely want you to strive for that and to know that you deserve it and to know that it is achievable. Um, and um, I every single I think a patient, several patients have asked me, um, is it still exciting? Is it still amazing the deliveries? And I can't even tell you how many I've done. Um, definitely thousands. I don't even know where, what number I am at the moment. Um, it, it's many, many. But each and every one, there, it's still awesome. It still is a joy. It still makes me smile. It's still beautiful. Every single delivery that I still do, it, it's still awesome. I'm still like, oh, I love this. You know, it, it's still an awesome thing. So, yes. It, it, it's a great thing. It's a great joy. And um, and I definitely hope all the best to all the patients, to everybody who's listening. I hope you got definitely got something good out of it. And I hope you continue. And I wish you all the best um, uh, throughout. 
uh, Dr. Mary Joy, uh, and hence your name, Mary Joy. You know, thank you, uh, board certified obstetrician gynecologist. You come from a position of authority. You've done several thousand C-sections uh, yourself. You are a mother. You are a wife. Um, you are a good friend and a very uh, passionate patient advocate. So thank you so much for your time on Coco Pods podcast today. Thank you. Thank you.